0: Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill.
1: Hello. Happy to be back. I missed last week.
0: Yeah, that's right. I'm happy you're back as well. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about some of the movement happening at TikTok, including Universal Music, potentially pulling some of its catalog from TikTok. We'll also talk about TikTok entering a joint venture with an Indonesian e-commerce firm and some of their ambitions around TikTok Shop. We'll talk about H&M's earnings, uh, including layoffs, store closures, and a new CEO. And finally, we will take a look at this quarter's list index and some of the big brands that are on there. So on Wednesday, Universal Music, which is one of the kind of the big three major label record companies announced that it would be, uh, or at least it posted an open letter that it would potentially be pulling the music of its biggest artists, um, and all of its artists, but including the big artists like Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, Rihanna, Lady Gaga from TikTok, because it could not agree on, uh, licensing and compensation for the artists with TikTok. That would be huge for them because obviously there's, you know, they have hundreds, if not thousands of artists, uh, on their label, but it includes some of the biggest musical artists. And TikTok is a music app, kind of primarily. Universal's argument is that TikTok proposed paying the artists basically a fraction of what other similarly sized social networks pay, uh, and they consider that untenable. TikTok had kind of a funny response that was saying Universal was pushing a false narrative, and they're denying the artists the exposure and free promo- promotion that they get from being on TikTok. Not that I have a ton of sympathy for like a major record label, but I do feel like I kind of am with them on this because it's not free promotion. Like TikTok makes money off the use of that music. Every time somebody uses Taylor Swift and the fact that Taylor Swift's music is on there helps TikTok grow and helps make them popular. So like they benefit a ton from that. And also as someone who has been a a writer and a creative person for a long time, I'm very wary of the old being paid an exposure type of thing Jill. I'm sure you're familiar with that phrase from both from being a journalist and also like being a stylist and other stuff the idea that like we can't pay you but we you know you'll get the exposure of working for us for free I'm like that's I don't know I've never been a fan of that kind of mindset you know
1: no, I've done it in my twenties for sure. Um, yeah, it's not cool. I, I would love to hear from the des- uh, the designers, ah, the the musicians, the singers uh, about this because, um, you know, Taylor Swift in particular on the, on the Universal label has been very vocal about uh, paying the music industry performers what they're worth and like um, yeah. going to bat for for their rights and um, for not misusing their their work. And one of her songs, a lot of her songs, but one in particular um, that's coming to mind because it was so recent was this Cruel Summer that was um, on an album years ago. And it was all people were making dances about it. People it caught on like wildfire as things do on TikTok. And it became, you know, it hit the hit the radio <laughs> again and became like a top whatever song, like one of her top songs. It, it made a comeback due to TikTok. And it's become a place for music discovery and the return of, I guess, <laughs> I don't want to say classics, but like think of the song like Renegade, Renegade, <laughs> like yeah. that went away. That came back from TikTok. So, I mean, I think that it's not a new business practice to get people hooked and then kind of bait and switch on on the deal the license did come up for universal between U- universal and TikTok but of course TikTok's going to jack up the price now that they've seen the success of universal's uh talent on the platform and the talent no no doubt got to love it
0: yeah no i mean that's a, i think a common strategy for a lot of big tech platforms is like make a platform that's too good to be true it's it's uh you know, pays out so well for like very little investment. It's so gets so big and everyone's involved. And then once everyone's hooked, then they jack up the prices. Like, I think you could point to probably a dozen different tech companies, social media platforms, rideshare services that all did basically exactly the same thing. But it's interesting. Like, I also think that an artist like Taylor Swift is kind of often at the center of these kinds of conflicts, like some, the similar like conflict with Spotify over not paying their artists like very well at all. It often comes back to like these giant artists like Taylor Swift, because they're the only ones with like the leverage to actually do something about it. You know, T- TikTok also argued that Universal was like harming the uh, many smaller artists they have on their label by not letting them be or potentially because they haven't actually pulled their music from, tic- from TikTok yet. They're just talking about it. But they argued that Universal would be harming all those like smaller artists who don't get the promotion from being on TikTok in order to protect the big ones like Taylor Swift, who are like not getting paid enough. Again, I find that argument kind of disingenuous.
1: Yeah, we want to hear from the artists like we'll believe it when they tell us that it's TikTok is coming off like a bully. And the fact that they TikTok Mm -hmm. called Universal, they're choosing greed over artists. It's kind of. A joke, like they're the ones that jack up the price. So it is He's greedy they're choosing, <laughs> they're choosing
0: greed over artists. They should allow us to pay artists one penny, <laughs> like for using their music. That's that. I don't know, but I think that goes for a lot of like. I don't know. I feel like a lot of creative work is is devalued, and that's actually one thing I do like about the fashion industry is I feel like it's one of the few places where the creative people who actually like make the stuff and you know who are the the creative drive behind the brands are often like in charge or like valued really highly. I think there's a lot of industries
1: drops till she and riffs them off, right?
0: That well, yeah, that's they then maybe they're devalued by like the industry, but it's cool that there's a lot of brands where like the designer is like the central role. Whereas there's a lot of industries like music or, you know, movies where the actual creative people making the the things that people love are like the bottom of the ladder for some reason which really doesn't make sense so it's cool that fashion is not totally like that
1: that's a good point oh wait before we move on um and it's not just about compensation for artists and songwriters there are some other kind of um elements within this deal like um it's about protection against ai generated music was one part of it and online safety against the artist from i don't know in what way um TikTok is kind of guarding against this for like Taylor Swift, but like against hate speech, bigotry, bullying, harassment. Um, So I don't know. I don't know in what way. That's probably, I don't know. I don't want to assume it's a lesser, large deal, smaller deal, Yeah. (laughs) but maybe. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm sure that's a big deal, too. I mean, I know AI and protection from AI, like copying of a person's voice or likeness was a big component of the um, actor's strike from last year. Uh, so I think a lot of the companies are very, the the big corporations involved with this stuff are very eager to, like, test out all that stuff. And can we have, you know, Bradley Cooper's face without actually having to pay Bradley Cooper for it? Like, they would love that. And so I, I'm sure something similar is happening in music, too. Um, And that's why a lot of the artists are, you know, fighting against that. So, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that's a big element of it as well. One other bit of TikTok news we should talk about is that last week they spent over $800 million to enter a joint partnership with GoTo, which is the biggest e-commerce company in Indonesia. The structure of the deal is a little bit funny, but it's like basically they both bought into a joint uh, partnership, like a, a... joint venture, that's the term, that would jointly operate TikTok shop in Indonesia, which, by the way, is a gigantic market. It's like 280 million people. It's like close to the size of the US. Um, So TikTok is definitely putting a lot of investment into TikTok shop. We've talked a lot about their their e-commerce investment over the last year. And South Asia and specifically Indonesia, that's a big market for them. So I wonder if we will see TikTok do similar kind of like joint ventures in other parts of the world, like... Maybe areas where they don't already have a big presence and there's another big e-commerce player already there and they can just work with them rather than try to like muscle in. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I think it's a shortcut to some of the entry into the market um, and getting things right. There was um, some mention of like working with merchants and logistics and payment partners, um, all the things that this Indonesian um, company al- already has in place. So, of course, TikTok now has a controlling stake. And one of the parts of the elements of the deal is that um, they'll agree to invest $1.5 in this over time. Well, of course, it's their own company, basically. Um, but it's interesting because at the same day, I think this came out a couple of days ago, but then today there was this story that came out in um, the New York Times. And it was basically questioning, like, is TikTok over and I don't think it's over, but I'm with the writer where she called it um, uh, uh, elements of it or the whole thing. Anyway, she she used the word junkyard, (laughs) but also called it like um, what did she say? Death by affiliate links and what my I'm. I've been saying this. It's like um, I've almost like soured on the whole TikTok experience because everybody is trying to sell you something. And it's just not fun. The minute I see like I look at the bottom and if there's an uh, opportunity to shop, I just scroll right past it. I'm like, this is cheesy. I I don't want to watch somebody selling me stuff. Um, so I mean, there's a danger here t- um, and people kind of wanting more. I just feel like it's become boring now that the... Uh, the um algorithm knows you well i i don't know there's less discovery i think as the algorithm i don't know i don't know the science of it all but um to me i'm just like unsatisfied <laughs> what do you yeah. think
0: no i mean i totally agree and it's kind of like we were just saying where you you get everybody hooked on this platform and once everyone's totally locked in then you like monetize the shit out of it basically it, yeah. and, you know and even if it drives people away it's like you get this giant payout so there's a, a term uh, in shitification, uh, which is <laughs> coined by Cory Doctorow. It's basically exactly what we were saying, where a platform or a product starts out really good, you get everybody using it, and then it gets worse in the pursuit of more money. Like, and you can see, I think a good example is like Google search. It sucks to search for stuff on Google now. It's like, They changed all the – it used to be at the top under the search bar would be, like, news, images, like, whatever. And now that's, like, shuffled off to the side so that there's more just, like, sponsored search terms and stuff. The first five results are sponsored. Like, it's just – it becomes unusable. But that's, like, kind of how a lot of that stuff goes.
1: And it's – there's a lot of – it reflects a lot of what we talk about on the fashion side where it's not necessarily – it is greed because they want to grow. They want to scale. They want to be a mega company and make more money. But – you know, we talk about, I just talked to that, this bag brand Metier, and she was very, she talked a lot about like, we want to grow, we want to be a major luxury label, but you know what happens. You lose the DNA, you use, um, what did she call it? The secret sauce as you grow. And I I don't Mm. want that to happen. So um, it was less of, it is a little greedy. You want to get bigger. You want to make more money. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, well, I'll, I'll stop it there because we could talk about this topic for forever, but we should move on. Let's talk about H&M. So on Thursday, the company had their earnings and there was kind of a surprise announcement, which is Helena Helmerson, who has been the CEO uh, of H&M Group for four years. She, I think she's been with the company for longer than that, but she's been CEO for four years. Um, very abruptly stepped down at the beginning of their earnings call. She just said it's been a really intense time and she needs to go do something else. So she is stepping down at... Uh, Immediately, and um, they had her replacement lined up already. His name is Daniel Irver. Um, he was formerly head of H and M the brand, which we should clarify: H and M the group and H and M the brand are different. I think they own a couple other brands: COS and what's the other one? And other stories. And or, other
1: stories. And yeah, and I think other stories. The, and I think the other ones, um, like Weekday and cat are more so under the H and M brand. But yeah, they've got various yeah. brands under the group.
0: Yes. So Daniel Erver was the head of H&M brand, and now he's going to be CEO of the whole group. It really seems like a, a kind of a tough time for them. Like their their sales were not so great over the holidays, um, which is like a really crucial period. Um, they laid off, I think, like 600 people in Spain um, last week, I think, and closed a quarter of their Spanish stores. It feels like yeah, they're just like a lot of companies in the industry right now. There's a lot of layoffs happening, a lot of cost cutting, um, and a lot of kind of apologetic, uh, apologetic earnings calls where they're like, "We're working on it, and it's all going to be fine."
1: Yeah, agree. I think that you know it's hard because they're in this fast fashion world that's become so competitive, mainly because of. Shein um Shein, yeah. so and their prices are closer to Shein than Zara and both Zara and Shein are thriving so um a lot of competition there and also how they spin it and it is true they did set this plan in 2022 where they wanted to focus on profitability rather than sales volumes volumes and like all of these cuts are intentional to um do layoffs. There were have been like 15, 1,500, I think, since this uh, plan launched. And also to close stores, assuming underperforming stores. But since 2019, they went from 5,000 to now um, under 4,400. So they're cutting a lot and they have big goals to achieve 10% profit margin. And uh, these analysts are saying like, good luck, because based on their goal, they have to have revenue growth every year between now and 2030. And where they are now, like, that seems really far-fetched.
0: Yeah, it's also funny to make your strategy be that, like, nothing bad is going to happen and there will be no bumps in the road. There's like, it's like if the strategy only works, if everything goes perfect for the next like five years in a row, I think that's not a great way to like plan long-term.
1: Apparently they had a sales increase in 2023. Their earnings that they just released uh, yesterday, this week was, um, were for the fourth quarter and all of 2023. So 2023, a boost. It was fine. But then where they really slumped was, um, the hot holiday sales period, December and January, they saw a 4% decrease, decrease, uh, wait, is it in growth? I think a decrease. Oh yes. It dropped year over year, 4% sales growth in, uh, December and January. So I mean, that's tough. And yes, the CEO, she doesn't have the energy to deal with it anymore. so it's interesting like that's the word i don't have the energy it's very demanding um okay so we'll see how daniel does he's been with the company for 18 years that i think that he said uh i basically it's too early to give my plan and we'll see what he does
0: (laughs) interesting strategy to just say you'll see what i'm gonna do We'll, we'll we'll find out together. I think it's something that's interesting is we've talked a lot about how you know luxury brands saw a lot of slowdown and at the end of last year and people are spending less on stuff you'd think that like a a brand like H&M would be benefiting from that because people are looking for cheaper stuff and like you said I think part of it is that Shein kind of undercuts them because if you really don't care about quality and you just want the cheapest possible thing you'll just go to Shein because it's like a dollar. Uh, for a dress or something. I think the other thing is because H&M and like fast fashion in general is not made to last. Like, yeah, even though it's cheap, you have to like buy it all the time. You know, you buy something and wear it a few times. Um, And, you know, if your wallet is really, really tight, you might still go to someone like H&M when you like need a suit or something. But I also feel like H&M is for people who are like really trend oriented and they're like, it's cold right now and I'm going to go buy a coat for today, you know, and just like wear it today. They said something in their earnings report about how uh, an unexpectedly warm autumn cut into their sales, which I think is funny because I think brands that are more like, I don't know, quality and like higher price point, people don't like, if it's cold in one month, you don't instantly see people buying less coats because usually people aren't buying like stuff to wear that day or that week. They're buying like sort of seasonally. But it seems like H and M kind of maybe is that sort of brand where you're you're buying it's hot today. I'm gonna buy a bathing suit for today. You know,
1: <laughs> totally. I know. I was thinking about that because it's reports that there it's been the warmest winter in I don't know years. And so you got uh, I think there are some earnings today with like Golden Goose and ooh Columbia. Some of these outerwear brands will um, be interesting to see what they they say about that because it would definitely more impact people who. Uh, specialize in coats or companies.
0: Cool. Okay, let's move on to the List Index, um, which is always fun to talk about. They put them out every quarter. It's kind of a snapshot of which brands are the buzziest, which ones people are talking about, the products um, that people are most excited about. I always find it fun to talk about it with you because there's a lot of interesting little bits to to pull out of it. Uh, The number one brand for this quarter was Prada, uh, which is interesting because before it was Miu Miu, which are Remind me, Joe, they're related, right? They're like the same. Totally. Same group. Got it. They're they're part of the same group. So Mew is down to two and Prada's number one. So we've got two brands from the same group right on top there, which is pretty cool. Prada's online searches grew, I think 41% since the last index. Um But they've gotten, I mean, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening at Prada. Um, Miuccia Prada and Raf Simons were both nominated for designer of the year. They were one of the few luxury brands, I think, whose revenue was up all through 2023, up to the end, um, right when a lot of other brands were seeing a little bit of a slowdown. I think their sales were up 12% last year, um, which is pretty good. So yeah, it feels like they're in a really good spot. Before we go through the rest of it, any thoughts you have on Prada? They're kind of rising up the ranks.
1: No, it's no it's no surprise to me. It's definitely been buzzy. And this list, kind of, Accounts for a lot of things, social buzz, search. So whether or not people are buying it, they're looking for it. They want to see how Mm -hmm. much it costs, all the things. Um, So no surprise. And also no surprise that like Skims is rising up the ranks when you think about this is the buzzy brands because they came out in the time period. This is for the fourth quarter um, that included when Skims was rolling out men's underwear and they had all those athletes and that was like sweeping the nation. And then the NBA partnership and that was all buzzy. And then they just had multiple collabs. They're always doing something that like people talk about. So, I mean, I feel like more, why aren't more brands doing (laughs) interesting marketing? It's really, it's kind of surprising to me.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's true. And the other thing is, in the top 20 brands on the list, I think only two of them were not luxury brands, and one of them is Skims, and then the other one was Ugg, which was interesting. Diesel, I don't know, if is, do we count Diesel as luxury?
1: Thank you. I was going to ask. They're always high on this list. People love it more than we know.
0: Yeah, I, it's funny. I don't feel like I often hear a ton about Diesel. Like, I get pitches from them sometimes. I, I sometimes see people talking about them, but they're always higher than I expect, so good for them. But yeah, it's it's mostly luxury brands. Uh, other top five brands, I believe, were Lueve, Bottega Veneta, Montclair, and then Miu Miu and Prada. Would you would you say those are mostly quiet luxury? Or what do you think?
1: Ooh, yeah, I would say like they Bottega all tend. Is... Bottega is. Lueve, no, not really. I, I kind of thought Lueve, I think Lueve would be like number two over Miu Miu and like Mm -hmm. anyway i want to shuffle these around but i believe it i believe it
0: (laughs) the jill rankings would be very different the jill index
1: i'll be like in my feed here's what's up
0: (laughs) it's not based on any data it's just based on vibes (laughs) um the other interesting thing is um the row uh the the margot bag was the i think that's how you said was the number one product uh from the list index but the row the brand was only 18 on the top 20 which is still pretty high and it's higher than they've been so they definitely like are growing um but it's sometimes funny who gets that top spot in terms of product because i think it was a couple quarters ago it was the uniqlo shoulder bag even though uniqlo i don't think was like near the top in terms of like brand it's sometimes just a one product kind of goes viral the row i think is not quite that because people love the row and people go crazy for their whole collection but it does feel like that bag is outperforming a little bit in in terms of like the public mind, you know, yeah. around that brand.
1: Yeah, they're somebody, a company that's done something like totally opposite of Skims, where they're not loud and very loud at all across social channels. Uh, very quiet, quiet luxury, and um, I don't know. I get their emails. They come out with like a playlist, um, but they've just really fueled this cult following that they have. And um, yeah, this Margot bag is called like the new Birkin. All the celebs are carrying it. And it's not cheap. It goes for like, depending on the size, depending on the material, $3,500 to $6,000. And it's hard to get. So it's selling like hotcakes. When I talked to um, Gab Waller, who is um, a luxury sourcer, people come to her to find things that they're looking for and they pay a premium of like $200. Um, She called this bag out as the most um, in-demand item that she was looking for, that people were coming Mm -hmm. to her for. So yeah, it's sweeping the nation. And like you said, yeah, some of these hot items are by brands that are not even on the list of um, the top 20 brand list. So Mm -hmm. um, Victoria Beckham has this great belt that's number two, but there was talk that she's moving up the ring. So maybe she'll be on the list next quarter. We'll see.
0: I was going to say the marco bag i haven't really looked into this so this is totally shooting from the hip but i bet there's a, a very hot resale market for that bag for the reasons you said that it's it's expensive and it's hard to get uh, and it's buzzy so and those are like three things that almost always make something like a really big item on the resale market so i'm gonna i might after we record i might dig around and see how much it's going for on like fashion file or places like that
1: No doubt. To tie together our conversation, interesting to see the cause, a coat by H&M, and m -hmm. brand cause as number seven as a hot item on the list. Um, It's a dupe, power of TikTok. Everybody talks about it as a Saint Laurent dupe. Um, So Mm -hmm. anyway, I'm like, how did I miss this? I want that coat, but yeah, now it's sold out. Womp.
0: Yeah. Well, and speaking of, it's not quite a dupe exactly, but another interesting thing I saw was the Adidas Country OG sneaker was on the list as well. And it's very similar to the Samba. It's got a very similar like design. It's a little bit chunkier. It's shaped a little different. Um, but it's interesting that the Samba was like so popular and so such a, a big hit for Adidas. And now it's kind of like seeping out into other Adi- like similar Adidas kind of, um, I don't know, silhouettes that are share a lot of DNA with the Samba. So that was just another thing I noticed.
1: Yeah. I haven't even heard anything about this sneaker at all. I must be in the wrong circles. Have you been creeping it? Are you interested? Uh,
0: A little bit, but like I didn't, I was not expecting it to be on the list or at a high ranking. So I also was kind of surprised by that, but it's a cool shoe. I mean, I really like Sambas. I haven't owned one since I was like on the soccer team when I was like 14. Um, but They are really nice shoes and Adidas is cool. Okay. Any other thoughts on the list index before we wrap up?
1: No. I wonder if there's a list should do an index with uh, that kind of expands to include lifestyle products, because I think number one would be a, stanley
0: thermos
1: (laughs) anyway there are other items that were so so hot in q4 um but anyway that's all i have to say about that
0: (laughs) got it all right well that's all the time we have this week um we are planning to do a mailbag episode in the future in which you beautiful listeners will send us your questions and jill and i will do an episode where we answer them or talk about them or debate them. Uh, so I mentioned this last week, and we've already gotten some some great questions uh, either through DMs to the Glossy Instagram, DMs to my Instagram. You can email me at danny at glossy.co. Um, but since last time we recorded, I have set up a voicemail box for the podcast as well. And we would love if you could call in and record your question, um, and we will play your question live on the podcast, and then we'll answer it that way. I think that would be very fun. So Get your pencils out. Write this down. The number is 929-688-2750. going to say it again. 929-688-2750. When you call that number, it should go straight to a voicemail. Just leave your, your question there for us, and um, at some point, we will... When we've got a good amount of them, we will do an episode just answering your questions maybe in the next couple of weeks. Um, also, if you are someone who already DM'd or emailed me, if you want to call and just redo your question to the voice line, um, that would be cool too. <laughs>
1: It's so retro, Danny. Get out your pencils. Call my voicemail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so retro. What is? What even is a pencil anymore? But yeah, so that's that. I'm really hoping we can do this in the next couple of weeks. We've already gotten a bunch of good questions, so keep them coming. And aside from that, don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast, because that helps us out so much. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast, because you'll hear in Review episodes every Friday and also interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday, Joe, who's on deck? Who's our next guest?
1: Up next, we've got Chris Echeverria. He is the founder and designer behind Blackstock and Weber. They are best known for loafers, and he's doing a bunch of cool collabs, cool things. Check it out.
0: Yeah, he's he's very cool. I think he was working with Sperry a little while ago, too. Um, makes really cool footwear. And I think he has a new brand as well. That's apparel. Um, anyway, that's going to be a good episode. Final thing I want to tease is that New York Fashion Week is coming up. And if you were listening last season, you know that we did a whole series of podcasts interviewing people who were showing, designers. Um, We will be doing that again. So when New York Fashion Week comes around, stay tuned. Check this feed. You will see lots of New York Fashion Week coverage from us. Until then, thanks for listening.